Church, let me invite you to open up God's Word with me this morning to the book of Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 21 today, and I want to share a message with you from that portion of God's Word titled, Justice for All. When most of us hear those words, justice for all, we likely think of the Pledge of Allegiance. And the original Pledge of Allegiance was written by Francis Bellamy in 1892 uh, with the hopes that it could be used by citizens of any country. In fact, the original version read this way, I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Of course, as you know, there were a couple later additions to that. The flag of the United States of America and under God leading the pledge to sound uh, a little something like this. All right, now go ahead. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the problem. For which is stands, one nation, and their God, and to be liberal, with liberty, and justice for all. You did it! Let's see. With liberty and justice for all. Thank you, Kinsley. That is precious. That's how you know your child is a true Alabamian right there. Because in Arkansas, we we don't talk like that. You know, as Americans, we are grateful, right? We're grateful to live in a nation, in a place that has championed freedom and justice. We have laws that protect the innocent. And we have laws that punish the guilty. We have laws that prohibit discrimination and laws that demand due process. But even so, church, we, we know that we don't live in a perfect land. We live in a broken nation. No land and no nation on earth practices perfect justice. There is no place on earth where justice is always served. But there is a land. There is a place. There is a kingdom governed by a ruler and judge who has always and will always practice perfect justice. Justice. Friends, in God's kingdom, there is perfect justice. In God's kingdom, there is perfect justice. That's what we're going to see as we open His Word this morning. The character of God revealed in the particular laws that He gives to those who are under His rule. And so that's where we find ourselves today in Exodus chapter 21. And a little context is in order. Remember that uh, God has delivered His people. He has come to uh, the aid of His people, the descendants of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He's come to the aid of the Israelites and He has rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And now He is setting them apart he has told them that they are his treasured possession and that they're, they're a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. And he is setting them apart from the peoples and nations around them, ultimately, so that they can show the people and nations around them what it means to be one of the Lord's. And so God has given them this law. He's given them the Ten Commandments. He's first appeared on top of Mount Sinai. He's shown them his holiness and his love for them. And he has given them these principles, these ten guidelines to live by. And now, in these chapters that follow, chapters 21 and 22 and 23, he's applying 
those principles to various real-life situations in the ancient world. And so let's hear what he has to say there. And as is our practice here at Meadowbrook, let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's holy word. Exodus chapter 21, I'll begin reading in verse 12 and go through verse 32. The Bible reads this way. God says, anyone who strikes a person with a fatal blow is to be put to death. However, if it is not done intentionally, but God lets it happen, they are to flee to a place I will designate. But if anyone schemes and kills someone deliberately, that person is to be taken from my altar and put to death. Anyone who attacks their father or mother is to be put to death. Anyone who kidnaps someone is to be put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. If people quarrel and one person hits another with a stone or with with their fist and the victim does not die but is confined to bed, the one who struck the blow will not be held liable if the other can get up and walk around outside with a staff. However, the guilty party must pay the injured person for any loss of time and see that the victim is completely healed. Anyone who beats their male or female slave with a rod must be punished if the slave dies as a direct result. But they are not to be punished if the slave recovers after a day or two since the slave is their property. If people are fighting and hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely, but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman's husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Verse 26, an owner who hits a male or female slave in the eye and destroys it must let the slave go free to compensate for the eye. And the owner who knocks out the tooth of a male or female slave must let the slave go free to compensate for the tooth. If a bull gores a man or woman to death, the bull is to be stoned to death and its meat must not be eaten. But the owner of the bull will not be held responsible. If, however... The bull has had the habit of goring and the owner has been warned but has not kept it pinned up and it kills a man or woman. The bull is to be stoned and its owner also is to be put to death. However, if payment is demanded, the owner may redeem his life by the payment of whatever is demanded. This law also applies if the bull gores a son or daughter. If the bull gores a male or female slave, the owner must pay 30 shekels of silver to the master of the slave and the bull is to be stoned to death. Would you bow with me? Father, we need your help. We believe your word. And Father, we ask now that your spirit would guide us in rightly understanding it and applying it to our lives as your people today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we read a passage like this and we feel like we're in an ancient course on case law. And we are. We're hearing how God helped His people apply these commandments, the Ten Commandments that we know, to real-life circumstances in the ancient world. Now, we have to acknowledge right away, and we need to acknowledge right away, that we don't live in the same time, place, situation, or culture. And so we cannot simply transfer these instructions word for word to our own time and place and expect them to apply instantly. Rather, we, we need to hear them in their context. And this is what we do when we strive to study God's Word this way, book by book, passage by passage. We, we, we are hearing this in the story, and we need to understand and, and hear them that way. We want to hear them in their context. We want to discern the timeless 
principles behind them. We want to interpret them through the lens of the gospel and then apply them to our lives as followers of Jesus living in the world today. And so in our few minutes together in the Word, that's going to be our aim today. It's easy to get hung up on the particulars, and the particulars matter. They do. But if we're quick to to zoom in on the particulars too quickly, we may risk failing to hear the central overarching message. Now recently, my kids and I have discovered that we like looking through a telescope at the night sky. And so we've spent a few uh, nights looking through a telescope at the moon. And it's neat to see the moon uh, enlarged and see those dark spots, those craters on the moon. A couple times, I think we've even been fortunate enough to spot the planet Venus and see Venus a little larger through the telescope. And we've found that it takes often quite some, some time, some tinkering to get the telescope right where you want it to be. But you know what else is pretty neat? It's pretty neat to step away from the, the telescope and to look up at the night sky and to see numerous stars across the sky that give perspective to what we're seeing through the telescope. And the same is true when it comes to studying God's Word. We need to hear what we're reading in the context of the story. And one thing that I think is central, the the key theme behind all of these laws that we're reading in this chapter, as strange as some of them may sound to us, the key theme underlying all of the laws here is justice. In God's kingdom, there is perfect justice where the punishment always fits the crime and the innocent are never wrongfully condemned. In God's kingdom, every man, woman, boy or girl is significant because all people matter deeply to God. All people matter deeply to God. When we read a text like this, we we need to hear this. This is a, a key truth behind this text. All people matter deeply to God. This is one truth that we no doubt see in this text. And the foundation for it is the creation account itself. Back in Genesis chapter 1, where God makes humankind, male and female, in his own image, in his likeness. Distinct and different from the rest of creation. And then remember what God says to, to, to Noah After the flood, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, he says, Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. Why? For in the image of God has God made mankind. In other words, these laws that we're reading here in Exodus 21 about capital punishment are not built upon a cavalier attitude about human life, but quite the opposite In other words, because human life is precious and valuable and significant to God, crimes against humanity require justice to be served. All people matter deeply to God. Our our text doesn't provide an exhaustive list. It's not meant to. These case laws are various possible scenarios and situations. But it does provide, uh, it does mention several people worth noting. And so let's quickly go through those. Number one, the murdered. The murdered, all people matter deeply to God, and one of those groups of people is those whose lives are taken from them. Those whose lives are unjustly taken matter to God. Verse 12, anyone who strikes a person with a fatal blow is to be put to death. In other words, the principle behind this is that nothing less than the perpetrator's life can truly pay for murder. Church, the the murdered matter to God, but not only the murdered, we also see here there's another group of people that matter significantly to God, and that is the, the accused. The accused. We've all heard of instances in our own 
system of criminal justice where the innocent are wrongfully accused and condemned. But not in God's kingdom. In God's kingdom, that never happens. If the death, verse 13, is not done intentionally, in other words, if it's an accident, God lets it happen, the guilty are to flee to a place I will designate, God says. This anticipates cities of refuge in the promised land that were designated as safe havens for perpetrators until the authorities had ample opportunity to investigate the crime thoroughly. All people matter deeply to God. The murder, the accused, and we see here the slave, the slave or the servant. I'm going to spend a lot of time unpacking this. We did last week as we looked at the passage beforehand. But as we noted last week, kidnapping, verse 16, was a capital crime. Like the African slave trade. That's an unforgettable part of our nation's history. Like what Joseph experienced in Genesis chapter 37 at the hands of his own brothers. God says there's no place for kidnapping in his kingdom because all people matter deeply to him. But just a couple notes about uh, some, some points that perhaps strike us in this text. Verse 20 suggests that physical discipline was acceptable between masters and servants, much like the parent-child relationship. In other words, as we looked at that and examined that relationship last week, ideally it was meant to be uh, a training time, a, a method and, and, and time of preparation for freedom. And so like train and teach and instruct your children. God was saying that masters may train and teach and correct and teach their servants. But note that abuse was absolutely and utterly intolerable. Master who so much as knocked his servant's tooth out, verse 27, must let him go free. Verse 21, there's a word that perhaps struck you, it certainly struck me. The NIV and and most translations use the word property since the slave is their property. But I think it's worth commenting and noting that what's intended here is probably not the way that we hear that word. Because this text, this pericope, no doubt, heightens the value of notes the value placed on all people, including servants. In fact, the literal translation is money. ESV says money. The slave is their money. And so the point behind this is that it doesn't benefit a master to harm their servant because that is one of his sources of income. That's the point that's being made here. See, in God's economy, you're not to kidnap or abuse anyone whatsoever, young, old, rich, poor, because all people matter deeply To God, the murder, the accused, the slave, and we see here men and women. Men and women. We see laws here that protect fathers and mothers. They give provisions for abused male servants and female servants, as well as the pregnant woman who just so happens to walk too close to a brawl, right? Did you catch that? All people matter deeply to God, the murder, the accused, the slave, men, women, and the unborn. The unborn. Verse 22 describes a situation where a pregnant woman is accidentally struck by men fighting, causing premature delivery. What's being stated here is that if there's an injury to either of them, the mother or the fetus, then the man who caused it must make it right. Because the fetus is indeed a, a person like the murder, the accused, like the slave, like men, like women, who matters deeply to God and deserves special care. No place whatsoever 
for the murder of abortion in God's kingdom. One commentator helpfully notes, he says, what these laws show is that people who don't count to us still count to God. Friends, in God's kingdom, there is perfect justice, but not only does this apply to individuals, all people matter to him. God is not only talking about individuals, but here we also see that that families matter to God. God values the family and calls for the preservation of it. God values the family and calls for the preservation of it. And because he values the family and calls for the preservation of it, so should we. We see serious punishment here for those who attack their parents, verse 15, or those who curse their parents. So children, don't attack your parents and do not curse your parents. What's intended here, though, and what's behind this is not a minor slap, but a vicious assault, probably with the intent to kill. And the curse here is not a single fit of rage, but a complete rejection of parental authority. God says, honor your father and your mother. Obey your parents. Respect their authority. Love and care for them. To reject their place of authority is to reject God's plan for the family. God values the family and calls for the preservation of it. And third, another principle that we see here is that true justice demands proportionate punishment. True justice demands proportionate punishment. In verses 23 and following, we read what has been described as lex talionis, or the law of retaliation, verse 23. But if there is serious injury, you were to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. What's being said here? Well, the principle is that the the punishment must fit the crime. Proportionate punishment. Punishment. This rule wasn't always applied literally. I don't think God even intended for it to be applied literally. But in principle, often allowing, we see that even in this chapter, often allowing the guilty person to cover medical expenses and lost wages rather than simply receiving physical revenge. The point is that true justice demands proportionate punishment. But the punishment, and this is key, is to be carried out by the appropriate authorities, not by the individual harmed. And this is why Jesus would quote this text and say, you've heard that it was said, but I tell you, turn the other cheek, emphasizing mercy and forgiveness rather than retaliation. Jesus was not going back on the principles that God had laid, but he was, he was correcting the way that people had heard them and interpreted them. Because all people matter Deeply to God. God values the family and calls for the preservation of it. True justice demands proportionate punishment. And finally, we see here a principle that we see in this text is that God holds us responsible for the wrongs we cause and those we should have prevented. God holds us responsible for the wrongs that we cause. That should be rather obvious. But also, we see here for the ones that we should have and could have prevented. Here's where the law about the vicious bull comes in. The owner bears responsibility if his animal attacks someone, but if he knew, if he knew that his animal had the tendency to attack, then he bears greater responsibility because he could have prevented it. There's no doubt. We we cannot prevent every wrong. We live in a broken world, a world that is tainted by sin, our sin, human sin. We, We cannot prevent every single wrong, but those we can, we must 
We are responsible, church, for what we do and what we fail to do. We have elections coming up. It's not my aim or intention or goal to tell you who to vote for, but I am here to tell you to vote and to do so with careful consideration for the values and the principles that matter to the God we serve. In God's kingdom, there is perfect justice. So support laws and leaders that promote true justice. Support laws and leaders that promote true justice. This is one way that we can take this principle and we can begin to apply it to our own day and time. Support laws and leaders that promote true justice. We ought to care. We ought to care. We must care that the vulnerable in our day and time are treated with dignity and grace. Meaning that we oppose abortion. Meaning that we champion foster care and adoption. Meaning that we stand up for victims of racism and injustice. Meaning that we support quality care for veterans. Meaning we don't ignore the plight of the refugee. Meaning we stand against discrimination. Meaning we support affordable and quality medical care for all. Meaning we give the accused due process. Meaning that we love our neighbors, all of them. Black, brown, and white. Young and old. Rich and poor. Democrats and Republicans. As we love and care for ourselves. Church, I hope that you are seeing that there is no political party or government leader who does this perfectly. Not a one. So we must approach these sort of questions in our own day and time honestly and humbly seeking the Lord, opening His Word, informing ourselves. They all fall short. Even Moses fell short. How ironic that in Exodus chapter 2, Moses committed premeditated murder and according to these instructions ought to be put to to death. Even Moses fell short. He deserved death because he was a murderer. You fall short and so do I for all have sinned, right? And fall short of the glory of God. Meaning we deserve divine punishment. In God's kingdom there is perfect justice and justice demands judgment for sinners. So we're sinners, all of us, deserving God's judgment. We can't read the law. Honestly and humbly, without coming to that conclusion, we deserve His judgment. And because He is almighty and eternal, He's the almighty and eternal God, the judgment that we deserve is death. It's death. True justice would mean that we, all of us, are condemned to death. But praise God, church, that in His mercy, He has devised a plan, a way to execute perfect justice without condemning us to death. When we read a text like this, we need to take in the greater story of God's word. We need to take in the gospel and see God's justice in punishing Jesus for our sins. See God's justice for punishing Jesus for your sin. Romans chapter 3, let's Hear the gospel. Romans chapter 3, verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, Paul says, between Jew or Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have fallen short. But all, verse 24, are justified freely, declared righteous, freely, 
by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. The text says that God did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, God's mercy and His justice converge in the gospel of Jesus. See God's justice in punishing Jesus for your sin and for my sin. Receive the permanent pardon provided by the perfect Savior. Turn to Him and trust in Him today for life and forgiveness and salvation. Tell the world about Him and And then, friends, let's imitate his character. Let's imitate his character. Let's imitate what is significant, what matters to him. Let's imitate his character. And one way that we can do that, as we've seen in God's word, is that we can show mercy and practice impartiality. Because justice matters to God. Because God is a God of justice and mercy. Let's be a people who show mercy and who practice impartiality. People who do so in our own families. People who do so in the workplace. People who do so in the school people who do so with our neighbors and in the church, in this place. I think James has something to say about that. No favoritism, no bias, no room for injustice among those who serve the king. For in God's kingdom, there is perfect justice. Father, we we thank you today that you always make the right decisions. That your character is constant. That your love is unfailing. Father, that you never wrongfully condemn the innocent. Father, that you are a God who holds up twin traits of justice and mercy. And Father, we thank you that in your mercy, you sent your son Jesus to take the judgment that we deserve, Lord, so that you could remain true to your character, so that you could remain just in condemning and punishing sin and yet justify us, declare us righteous by grace through faith in Jesus, your Son, our Savior. Father, as we praise you now, as we respond to this gospel truth, pray that you would stir our hearts and that you would stir our our lips to praise you, to express faith in you and to walk with you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.